Now, if you've got your Bibles, we are in the book of Hebrews. And today is it, right? We, we've been in it for a year and a half, and we're going to wrap it up today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Mark went over some of the things. So we've got five Christmas Eve services. They're really geared towards communicating uh, the, the message of Jesus. So they're great things to invite your unchurched friends, neighbors to come to one of those services. And then we won't be here on Sunday. Uh, then on the first, uh, maybe... One of my favorite services of the year. Uh, I honestly, I don't preach. It's a praise service. We get to hear testimonies. We're going to have communion. It's a great way to kick off. On the weekend of the 7th and 8th, uh, I, I don't, man, we started this maybe 20 some odd years ago. But kind of the first weekend of, of the new year, I just take and share what God's laid upon my heart for us as a church. Kind of call it the state of the church address. 2023 is going to be a huge pivotal year with construction starting and all of those type of things. So we want to talk about, you know, what, what has God called us to do? And uh, then on the, the next weekend, which is what, the, the 14th and 15th, we're going to start a small series. This is a series designed to invite, again, unchurched folk too. And we've entitled it, What in the World is Next? Right? We live in a crazy world, don't we? It's like it, it just, it's every day something somewhere is going bonkers. And, uh, and the Bible kind of told us what would be happening. So what in the world's next? And we'll, we'll look at that for the last uh, three weekends in January. Then in February, we'll start a next book study. And we're going to do the book of Revelation. Uh, and so because it talks about what is next and what is coming. So this morning, we are in, in Hebrews chapter 13. And we get to the benediction. Now, the benediction, of course, is the close. It's, it's something at the end. It's, uh, uh, you know, the term I was thinking about using, it's the blessing. But then I know my generation thinks of Christmas vacation and the blessing. And I didn't want you to think about that. But it, it, it's the reminder of who our God is and what he has called us to. And it's almost wrapped up everything within the context of, of the book. And it's, it's really there to fuel your soul. And so to understand the, the benediction, you, you've got to understand the book. Because it's, it's, again, it's all kind of tying it up in this nice little bow. And so if you've not been with us, let me just real quickly walk you through the book of Hebrews. The number one theme of the book has been the supremacy of Jesus. He is all you need. You start in chapter 1, how Jesus is a far better revelation of God than even the Old Testament prophets because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his nature. He's better than the angels in chapter 2 who are merely servants, but Jesus is the son. In chapter 3, he's better than Moses. And as we talked about how in Judaism, Moses is the man. That's who the law came through. But Jesus is far greater than Moses. 
chapter 4. He's a far better inheritance, the, the Sabbath rest that remains. You get to, to chapter 7, he's a better high priest. Chapter 8, as a better high priest, he serves in a better tabernacle, not one here on earth, but one in heaven. You get to chapter 9, not, even a, not only a better high priest of a better tabernacle, but a better covenant, not the old covenant, because the old covenant was promised there will be a new covenant something will surpass it he is the the mediator he's the high priest of the new covenant jeremiah 31 where he promises to wash away our sins and to remember them no more to write his law upon our heart but it's not just that he's the better high priest of the better tabernacle uh, of the better covenant but it's also with better blood not with the blood of bulls and goats but with his own blood he made eternal redemption for us you know having sat down because it is finished once and for all and so he the supremacy of christ he's all you need and in the midst of all of this he's tied into the second theme which is that there's a better day coming Right, that, that our worldview is a two-world view. You go all the way back to chapter 1 where Jesus now is sat down at the right hand of the Father waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for a better day. Waiting for the day when his enemies will be made his footstool. In chapter 2, he talks about how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Not looking back at justification, but looking ahead to our ultimate salvation. Because he says, I'm talking about things which are to come. You get to chapter 4, and he, the author talks about how there remains a Sabbath rest, an inheritance for the people of God. He keeps pointing us towards the future. He comes to chapter 10 and tells us that there's great reward if we don't fall, throw away our, our confidence. Well, in the midst of all this, what is his aim? It's don't drift don't fall away don't turn back jesus man he's all you need he's far greater than the old testament law secondly if you walk with faith there comes great reward with that so don't drift remember he's writing to to people who have come up out of judaism they've heard the gospel they've trusted jesus as their savior but now there's a, there's a drift. There's a wanting to go back. There's a, a falling away. And even for others, a turning away. And, and so now we have the five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Don't do that. Continue to press on. And then we get to chapter 12 and he slides this piece in. Oh, by the way, not just because Jesus is far superior and not just because there's great reward, but don't drift because you also have a loving heavenly father who will discipline you? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Right? So it was a warning again. So how do we press on? How do we persevere? How do we not drift? And what he's told us in chapters 11 and 12 is simply this. is We live by faith. We focus our eyes on Jesus. And we walk by faith. Just like the Old Testament believers did for things that they had not seen for things that that were promised in the future when we live by faith that is what brings about the perseverance and the endurance and we get to chapter 13 and as i've said I, I wish i had a better word for it but it's almost a staccato of then how do you persevere practically well you you love the brethren that's number one 
and then you love the stranger and then you love the prisoner and then you love your spouse and then you're content with what you have and then you listen to those in spiritual authority over you and you understand your position as a believer priest and now we get to this nine-fold benediction almost made up of short little clauses reminding us both of who God is and what he is doing in us. So let's read it together. We're going to read verses 20 through 25, but we're going to really focus on 2021 20, and 22. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. In verses 20 and 21, this ninefold benediction of reminding us of who God is and what he is doing and what he has called us to. The first thing he starts with is the God of peace, which is quite interesting because you think of the, you think of the, the people that he's talking to. They're facing persecution. If we got the timeline right, we think this is written actually in the days of Nero. If you go back in the days of Nero, Rome persecuted the church. This was the times when they would dress them in animal skins and put them in the Colosseum and let the dogs attack them. This is when they took Christians in Rome and rolled them in pitch and let them on fire to to uh, both heat and to light Nero's gardens. This is also the time where the Jews were, were turning on Christians because they've left Judaism. And let's be honest, folks, when there's persecution, when there's, when there's suffering, peace is not the first thing you think of, is it? What you think of, you think of turmoil, you think of fear. But he reminds them that our God is the God of peace. He is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. And so as you and I, no matter what we're going through, we lean into Jesus, we can know his peace. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room that night in the book of John? He says, peace I give unto you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. So don't let your heart be troubled. And then later he says, you know, in the world, you're going to have persecution. But I'm giving you my peace because I have overcome the world. And one of the things that I have found in my life is that if in my life there is turmoil, and there is upheaval, and there is fear, that's a pretty good indicator that I am not leaning in to Jesus. And I'm letting the circumstances, and I'm letting the, the trials, and I'm letting the chaos of the world be the thing that now is dominating my mind and my heart because he is the God of peace. Paul even says this in Romans 15, now the God of peace 
you and I have, no matter what we're going through, is the God of peace. And we can walk through it. Why? Because no matter the suffering, no matter the persecution, no matter the trials, no matter what the doctor tells us, his promise is he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. It reminds me of what David said in that great 23rd Psalm. And you get to chapter, or verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You know, peace really, in a lot of ways, is the absence of fear. Why, why do I fear no evil? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We know the God of peace. We know the God who holds tomorrow. That God is able to minister to our hearts and to bring us through on the other side. And then he goes into that second phrase, which I find quite interesting. The God of peace who brought up from the dead. Now, wait a minute. If he brought up from the dead, someone died. Correct? And if someone died, and of course we know he's referencing Jesus here, usually in our minds, death means turmoil, doesn't it? I mean, I always tell people, I, I'm not afraid of death. It's the dying part I'm not real excited about. So the God of peace who brought up from the dead, well, wait a minute, if you're the God of peace, why didn't you show up before the death? Why, why didn't you step in and save out of the circumstances? And what he reminds us of here is this, is the God of peace. He is the God who's able to restore. He is the God who is able to redeem. Have you ever thought of what the, the disciples would have been thinking on Friday night after the cross? all over right hope is gone they were wrong clearly he wasn't the messiah and yet through the death of christ not only does he provide redemption but now brought up from the dead he provides hope he provides eternal life he conquers death for all people. You see, God is a God who is able and powerful enough to restore and to redeem. And there's those times in your life and my life where, where, where stuff happens and circumstances get so bad, we just think it's over, right? Maybe it's even something we've done. Maybe it's the bad decisions of, of our past. And we just think there's nothing redeemable about this. Can I remind you that your God is able to restore? He's able to redeem. And I'm old enough now and have walked enough time through with, with brothers and sisters in Christ to realize that for many of us, that place where God uses us most is actually born out of that biggest brokenness of our life. Those biggest mistakes, those biggest failures, those circumstances outside of our control that seem to just swamp us, and yet God is able to restore. God is able to redeem. Folk, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you've done in your past, and maybe you just think, man, 
there's nothing redeemable. I want you to know he's the one, our God, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead. He is able to restore. He is able to redeem even those painful things in our past. The third clause that he uses here is the great shepherd of the sheep. And of course, this is that picture of Jesus there in John 10, the great discourse. I am the good shepherd, right? And he reminds us that Jesus is the shepherd, is the one who's watching over us. Jesus is the one who's directing us. Jesus is the one who's protecting us. Jesus is the one who's guiding us to those, those things that are important. Jesus is the one who has that good shepherd that when there is brokenness in our life, sets it and begins to, to the mending, the healing, to take place but you know the heart of Jesus conversation that he was the good shepherd wasn't even about those things you know what it was about it was about I know my sheep in John 10 verse 14 it says I'm the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me and I lay down my life for my sheep that he knows us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're facing. He cares. He, we're in the hollow of his hand. He is the great shepherd. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that as the word of God tells us is that there's nothing that he allows in our life that he can't use for our good to make us more like Jesus. Even the suffering, even the difficult. The next clause that is there is through the blood of the eternal covenant. It's the, it's Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10. The better high priest of a better tabernacle of a better covenant with better blood. You know, this covenant that he's made with us is never going to be old. It's never going to come to the end and something new is going to replace it. This is the new covenant. That's why there in the upper room with the disciples and he gave the cup and he said, this is my blood, take, drink it. This is the blood of the new covenant. But this covenant is everlasting. He has made eternal redemption for our salvation. He is finished and that's why he sat down at the right hand of God because it is done. It is perfected. That is our relationship with, with the Lord. There's nothing that can break our relationship with him. Then we get to verse 21. And he says, equip you in every good thing to do his will. The word equip there is, is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's katertizo. And it, it has kind of two different ideas. The one is the idea of, of mending, uh, of fixing. So for instance, uh, doctors would use it of taking a broken bone and resetting it so that it would heal correctly. Uh, Fishermen would use it of mending a net that had been ripped. And so it was, it was making it whole again to be able to work. And as we talked about, as the one who is, you know, the great restorer, that is certainly there. But the other context is actually the context I think that it means here. It was used by sailors in preparing a ship for a voyage. It was getting everything ready to go, everything in place, and getting ready to move on. It was used by soldiers of getting their 
getting their, their uh, shields and their swords and getting prepared for battle. That's why in my translation, it, it translates it the word equip. And when you look at how the author of Hebrews last used it, I think it's this idea of prepare and to equip. By faith, we understand in Hebrews eleven three that the worlds were prepared. That's the same Greek word. By the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It was prepared. It was equipped. It was ready. And his whole point here is this, that this God of peace who brought up from the dead... That great shepherd of our sheep, the great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of his covenant, he is in that process of equipping us to do his will. He, he knows right where we are. He's using all this stuff that comes into our life, the good and the bad, to prepare us. And Peter actually takes the same word in the same context in 1 Peter chapter 5, and he says, and after you have suffered... For a little while. Now, by the way, have, have you ever suffered for a little while? Doesn't suffering ever seem to just go on and on and on, right? But after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself catertizo. He'll equip, perfect, complete. He even uses the suffering the persecution, the failures to establish us in him. And to do what? To do his will. To do his will. If there's one thing that I think I could get Christians to understand, it would be this. That you, as a child of God, no matter how insignificant you may think you are that you have a part in the will of God I understand people look up and you know they see they see Steve they see pastors right and there's a calling into that they see missionaries and there's a calling to go overseas and and, and so they see that part but they think hey man I'm just kind of ordinary Joe and I'm just sitting here and what I wish you understood is that you are every bit as much called to do the God follow him to live on mission as I am as any missionary in the world because you are a believer priest you belong to Jesus he doesn't have big shots and little shots we all belong to him you are called that's why we talk about live on mission because you were equipped and you were in the process of being equipped by this great God of peace the shepherd of your soul to do his will to be salt and light to live Jesus you know we often talk about here our philosophy of ministry is wrapped up in that Greek word oikos which means household and the idea is, is that every single child of God is put into relationship with family, friends, neighbors co-workers strategically and on purpose by the God of the universe to do his will, to live as salt and light, to live Jesus with our life, to share Jesus with our lips. You are called to that, to do his will just as much as I am. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2? For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You are part of God's will. You are part of God's plan. Just right where, if you know Jesus, right where you are. And so he is equipping you to do his will. The next phrase he uses here is working in us that which is pleasing. Yeah, God's working in you. If you belong to Jesus, it's not like he stuck you on the shelf someplace back and kind of forgot about you. He knows right where you are. He knows all that you're going through. He's at work in your heart. Working in us that which is pleasing because when you and I live on that mission, when we live according to his will, that's honoring to him. Paul put it like this in Philippians chapter 2. For it is God who is at work in you. The God of the universe the, the one who made all things, the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep. He is at work in you. You are so important to him that he is at work in your life. He's actually put his Holy Spirit inside of you. And when you and I live on that mission, and we live not drifting and turning away and turning to the left or right, but focusing our eyes on Jesus. Man, that is pleasing to him. He wraps it up with these last two phrases. The first is through Jesus Christ, right? It's all about Jesus. That the whole book of Hebrews is just all about Jesus. He is the one who is supreme. He is the one we're to fix our eyes on. He is the one we are to emulate. He is the one that we're not to turn for left or right from, but focused on Jesus. And then he finishes up with these words, to whom be the glory forever and ever. That's what we live for. We live that our lives, you know, Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. So whether we're at home with him or absent, our heart's desires that we would be pleasing to him. It's all about him. And then amen, right? What are you supposed to do when you say amen? Well, eat, right? <laughs> Done, dismissed, benediction. And finally, the guy's over. And then he doesn't stop. But, but, right? Amen. Everybody, okay, amen, let's go. But, but, stop. I urge you, brethren, hear with this word of exhortation or bear with this word of exhortation. It's almost like one last time he just has got to, to try to beg with them. It's almost like he gets down on his knees. Please, please, please listen. Listen to what I'm saying. Obey what I'm talking about. This stuff is important. You're going to hardship. Yes, there's temptation. There's trials. This life is difficult, but we're living for another day. So you endure hardship that comes with Jesus. You press on. You live by faith. You don't turn back. You don't give up. You don't slink back. Because Jesus is all we need. There's a better day coming. We have this God of peace who's going to be with us through all that we go through. He, he's the one who can restore all things. Yeah, maybe we've messed up. Maybe we've turned away. That's okay. He can restore that. 
He's that great shepherd. He knows where we are. He is at work in our lives. He is equipping us to do his will. And that is pleasing to him. So don't give up. I urge you. I beg you. I plead with you. Press on. Don't quit. Don't give up. Follow Jesus. And it will be worth it all in that day.